Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. $16 billion just in earmarks. The massive omnibus spending bill does everything big. We'll take a look under the hood at some of those projects. Looting in Buffalo, New York, as a blizzard killed dozens in the community. Videos show the impact left on the businesses. Southwest Airlines canceled close to 3,000 flights yesterday. Find out what travelers have to say about it as they try to navigate the cancellation chaos. Florida has made a point of countering progressive ideologies, but what's really happening in colleges there? We hear about an investigation that uncovers divisive curriculum and a visit from the FBI. China's top health body stops updating daily COVID infections as the country detects over 130 subvariants of Omicron. But foreign travelers will soon no longer need to quarantine when visiting the nation. The more than 4,000-page, $1.7 trillion omnibus government funding bill includes around $16 billion in pet projects known as earmarks. We'll take a closer look at some of those. Here's NTD's Daniel Monahan with the details. Earmarks are provisions in legislation that set aside funds for specific projects or programs. Those are typically for the benefit of a particular locality or group. This omnibus bill has over 7,000 earmarks. Senator Rand Paul criticized the largesse of the omnibus bill on C-SPAN. The American people don't want this. They're sick and tired of it. They're paying for it through the nose with inflation. Supporters see earmarks as a way for lawmakers to better serve the needs of their constituents, while detractors often criticize them as corrupt and wasteful pork. The process stinks. It's an abomination. It's a no-good, rotten way to run your government. Senator Ron Johnson believes lawmakers should take their fiscal responsibility more seriously. Uh, We literally are the board of directors of the largest financial entity in the world. While Senator Mike Lee criticized the system of putting a must-pass spending bill thousands of pages long and full of earmarks right next to a scheduled recess like Christmas. That is designed by its very nature to carry out this extortive threat. You either vote for this or you're voting to shut down the government. The earmarks in this spending bill include $45 billion in funding for Ukraine, hundreds of millions of dollars in funding for border protection in other countries like Egypt and Tunisia, over $3.5 million for a Michelle Obama trail in Georgia, around $3 million for a half dozen LGBT-related projects and programs, $4 million for an animal genetic engineering center in Missouri, $2 million for green job workforce development and equipment in Collegeville, Pennsylvania, and $1 million for career skills and job counseling at a women's center in Kew Gardens. After a decades-long ban, Democrats revived the use of earmarks ahead of fiscal year 2022. Senator Ron Johnson called earmarks a gateway drug to massive deficit spending. So again, we're, we're, we're on the side of fiscal sanity. We're, we're on the side of a process that is transparent so that members and the American public actually understand how the federal government is mortgaging their kids' futures. Meanwhile, President Biden hailed the omnibus bill's passage and vowed to sign it into law. He called it great news for our economy, capping off a year of historic bipartisan progress for the American people. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Sam Bankman-Fried's criminal case over the collapse of FTX has been reassigned to U.S. Judge Lewis Kaplan. Kaplan will replace U.S. District Judge Ronnie Abrams, who recused herself on Friday. She said in a court order that the law firm where her husband is a partner advised FTX in 2021. Prosecutors accused Bankman-Fried of carrying out a fraud of epic proportions that led to the loss of billions of dollars of investor funds from the failure of FTX, which was a major player in the crypto industry. Bankman-Fried has acknowledged risk management failures at FTX, but said he does not believe he has criminal liability. He has not yet entered a plea and was released on Thursday on a $250 million bond. Some people are looting stores in Buffalo, New York, after a winter storm caused havoc across the city. Video footage shows incidents of theft and the aftermath. A deadly winter storm in Buffalo, New York, kept many locked in their homes as conditions outside were considered life-threatening. However, officials say some used the situation to break into local stores. In this video posted on social media, you can see what appears to be an almost totally ransacked 7-Eleven. 
Items were spread all over the floor while most shelves were empty, presumably stolen. In this video, you can hear a car with sirens arriving at a supermarket. Nevertheless, there are people calmly walking out of the store with filled trash bags and other items which they're believed to have stolen from the store. Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown on Monday condemned the people stealing from stores during a deadly storm which killed dozens. It's just absolutely reprehensible. Uh, I don't know how these people can even live with themselves, how they can look at themselves in the mirror. They are the lowest of, of the low. The mayor says it appears the people didn't actually need the items they stole. Uh, they're not looting foods and medicines. They're just loot, looting items that they want. So these aren't even people in distress. These are people that are taking advantage of a natural disaster and the suffering of many in our community. The city's police commissioner says they've made a few arrests and intervened in some of the looting. Buffalo's blizzard is deemed the area's worst in 45 years. It took form late on Friday and pummeled western New York through the Christmas holiday weekend. It capped an Arctic freeze and winter storm front that had extended over most of the United States for days, stretching as far south as the Mexican border. At least 29 deaths are attributed to the storm so far in the Buffalo area. Around 60 passed away nationwide because of the harsh conditions. And the freezing weather and recent blizzards left quite a scene in Hamburg, New York. A lakeshore restaurant in the small town near Buffalo was covered in icicles. The restaurant owner says the storm started forming the ice stalactites Friday morning. He says it was from sundowner winds splashing against the restaurant's foundation and then freezing. That was after the temperature dropped from 45 degrees to around 12 degrees. As you can see, it actually protected the restaurant by it dropping so low in temperature because it acted as a barrier and protected the, uh, the, re the restaurant and foundation. Nothing broke, no windows broke, no leaks, and um, yeah, we just got a new floor put in and none of that was touched, so right now we're good. The only problem was is the uh, parking lot got beat up pretty bad. The greater Buffalo region on the edge of Lake Erie has been one of the hardest hit places. The blizzard is considered the worst Buffalo's had in 45 years. Officials have reported at least 29 storm-related deaths in the area. The severe winter storm that hit the U.S. threw a wrench in the travel plans of many Americans over the holiday weekend. If you were flying with Southwest Airlines, chances are you're not a happy customer. They canceled close to 70% of their flights yesterday. Southwest blamed the weather and staffing issues. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the frustration passengers are facing. Please continue to hold. Your current estimated wait is 131 minutes. The patience of Southwest Airlines customers is being put to the test. Call centers were swamped Monday. Some passengers trying to reach customer service were asked to wait up to three hours or longer. The phone systems that the company uses uh, is just not working. They're just not manned with enough manpower. The severe winter storm left thousands of people stuck waiting at airports to be rebooked. They said even if you go through this line, it might be up to New Year to get a flight. Others struggled to find their luggage in piles between carousels. Luggage is nowhere to be found and uh, just stuck here. According to FlightAware, a flight tracking service, close to 4,000 U.S. airline flights were canceled on Monday and over 7,000 delayed. The bulk of those cancellations hit Southwest Airlines. Close to 3,000 of the airline's flights were canceled Monday. That's nearly 70% of the carrier's total scheduled for the day. A spokesperson for FlightAware says Southwest's short and medium-range routes can lead to planes spending more time on the ground unloading and boarding passengers, and that combined with bad weather, operations can slow to a crawl. So those turnaround times really bog things down. You're not making any money, you're not efficient when you're on the ground, and that has helped to slow them down, unfortunately. Many Southwest customers complained about a lack of response from the airline. There's zero information being spread at all, and so that's kind of annoying. The personnel don't have an idea. Whenever you ask them what's going on, they said, we don't know. Southwest put out a statement saying they were working with safety at the forefront to address the wide-scale disruption and that the challenges were caused by consecutive days of extreme winter weather. The president of a union that represents Southwest's flight attendants says the problem was a systems failure led by executive leadership and that it's time to make it right. 
This is not a staffing issue. This is a systems issue. Southwest Airlines was staffed. Its employees were ready to go to work. But when they chose to take flights into the middle of the storm or not preemptively cancel enough flights, their systems have not been able to keep up. Southwest said Monday it was doing its best to get its network back to normal. But for many customers, the frustrations are far from over. Well, we're going to sleep on the floor, I guess. The Christmas was just ruined. This was the worst Christmas ever. The airline says disruptions could continue up to the New Year travel period at the end of the week. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The U.S. Transportation Department said yesterday it will be examining the large number of Southwest Airlines cancellations and delays. They say it was unacceptable and want to find out if it was in the airline's control. And in New York, Buffalo's Niagara International Airport is set to remain closed until at least Wednesday morning. The National Weather Service says they saw close to 50 inches of snow as of Monday morning. You've probably heard Florida Governor Ron DeSantis say that the Sunshine State is, quote, where woke goes to die. But according to several conservative university students, this so-called woke is still alive and well on Florida college campuses. We hear from a journalist who recently investigated the issue, speaking with students and an organization that tracks progressive policies in colleges. Joining us now is Epic Times reporter Darlene McCormick-Sanchez. It's a pleasure speaking with you today, Darlene. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for having me this morning. In your recent report published in the Epic Times, you spoke to several conservative university students who attend a major university in Florida. What did they share with you that led you to write the article? You know, um, Kevin, it was really um, astonishing that, you know, these students told me a lot of things that were going on here at the or there at the university in Florida that you wouldn't expect in such a, you know, a conservative state led by, of course, Governor Ron DeSantis. They were telling me things like, um, you know, they had to write papers based on, you know, critical race theory um, that, you know, the world was systemically racist, um, that the Constitution to the United States needed to be torn up. These were the sort of things they were telling me in different, um, you know, areas of education, journalism and law being the two that I was referring to, but others as well, like gender and um, also, uh, you know, climate control, where the students actually felt like they were going to die. And so climate control was, was you know, almost like a religion um, that you had to adhere to. Well, thanks for describing what was in their curriculum. Now, in that article, you wrote that FBI agents knocked on one of the students' apartment doors and questioned him about his political views for more than an hour. Can you tell us more about this? Yes, I thought that was incredible. This was when he was at the same university. He was an undergrad. And um, it was in the morning, probably around 9 o'clock. Um, he got knock on his door. He went and answered his uh, door. He lived in an apartment there um, near the campus. Uh, and there were two FBI agents and they said, you know, hi, we're here to talk to you. Um, you know, and he was like, well, what's going on? And they're like, well, you've been reported as having some extremist views. views." And he was like, really? And so um, they started talking a little bit and um, they ended up going to a, um, you know, room there at the, um, there at his complex and talking for over an hour. And, you know, he, he did an amazing job, though, of course, as a future law student, you know, he, he started asking them questions. He started saying to them, well, what do you consider an extremist? And, you know, they kind of, you know, hesitated on that. And he's like, do you consider being a Christian an extremist? Um, and they're like, well, no, of course not. And he's like, do you believe uh, that somebody who, um, you know, believes in and wants to follow the Second Amendment is an extremist and they're no, they're like no we do not and so by him going along this line of questioning he was actually able to you know end this well for him and at the end of the conversation um, they basically said well we don't know why someone would have reported you to us uh, but you're not going to hear from us anymore Let's look at this from a nationwide standpoint. Conservative lawmakers have tried to put a stop to the so-called woke ideologies such as critical race theory, like you mentioned. But perhaps some of these laws haven't gotten to the heart of the issue. Do you think there's a better way to address this? I think that this was a great start, but I think that it, it shouldn't just be in Florida. This needs to be nationwide, and I do think that there are 
more legislators now that are paying attention to this in Texas. There's been talk about uh, passing some sort of legislation, maybe getting rid of the tenure system in colleges in Texas um, so that these type of professors aren't, you know, enshrined in these universities and that you can get some diversity of thinking. Right now, it's it's monolithic pretty much across the country. A lot of these universities, you know, that this critical race theory is is just embedded there. And it's I think it's going to be really difficult to get rid of. But I think legislators and parents also need to step up and say something. Don't put your dollars in these universities where they're basically indoctrinating your students. It's so great to hear an update from you. Epic Times reporter Darlene McCormick-Sanchez, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Coming up, law enforcement and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children fight to find victims of child pornography and bring the perpetrators to justice. We have that and more just after this break. The Texas National Guard has installed over two miles of fencing since the first feet of border fencing went up in the El Paso area last week. That's according to a Texas National Guard spokesperson who said Monday that more fencing is expected to be installed. As of Monday, roughly 22,000 migrants were sleeping in shelters and makeshift encampments across three northern Mexican cities, a number that is only expected to grow as Title 42 remains in legal limbo, leaving thousands of migrants to make the decision to either wait for the Trump-era pandemic policy to be lifted or cross into the United States illegally. Arizona's governor-elect Katie Hobbs and Maricopa County asked a court on Monday to sanction Cary Lake. This after a judge rejected Lake's lawsuit that challenged the counting and certification of the November election. Court documents show that the Maricopa County deputy attorney wrote that Lake filed a groundless lawsuit for a frivolous pursuit. Lake's lawyers responded asking the court to deny the request for sanctions. They say Maricopa County's motion has no basis in law or fact. The lawyers wrote, trust in the election process is not furthered by punishing those who bring legitimate claims, as the plaintiff did here. The sanctions would be in the form of a financial penalty imposed by a judge for violation of a court rule or misconduct. A federal court in Florida won't drop criminal charges against a 2018 Democratic candidate for governor. Andrew Gillum was charged with wire fraud, conspiracy, and making false statements. A judge said last week that Gillum's claims for dismissal were meritless. He dismissed four motions. Gillum is a former mayor of Tallahassee, Florida. A grand jury indictment says he failed to disclose that he solicited payments and gifts from undercover FBI agents posing as real estate developers. According to court documents, Gillum later gave false statements to FBI agents, claiming the developers never offered or gave him anything. He's also accused of defrauding people by asking for campaign donations, a portion of which was funneled through a corporation, and some of it paid directly to Gillum. Gillum claims he's being targeted for selective prosecution because he was a black candidate for governor. The judge says Gillum has shown no evidence to back his claim. GOP Congressman-elect George Santos admitted yesterday that he lied about his education and work experience. But he says he hasn't committed any crimes and intends to serve his two-year term. Santos came clean that he never worked directly for Goldman Sachs or Citigroup. He called the lie a poor choice of words. He says he actually worked for a company called Linkbridge, which did business with both of the financial firms. He further admits that he never graduated from any institution of higher learning. This despite previously claiming to have earned a degree from Baruch College in 2010. He said, quote, I own up to that. We do stupid things in life. Santos is also facing accusations of lying about his family history. His campaign website claimed that his mother was Jewish and his grandparents escaped the Nazis during World War II. Santos now says that he's clearly Catholic, but claimed his grandmother told stories about being Jewish and later converting to Catholicism. Santos also confessed to lying about owning 13 properties. He says he actually just lives at his sister's place, but he's interested in purchasing a home of his own. Advances in data storage and video technology have led to an increase in child pornography. Now a global network of investigators is racing to stop it. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on their efforts. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is a nonprofit based in Alexandria, Virginia. 
One of the organization's missions is to track online child pornography. Two things happen. One, we're producing an analytical report for law enforcement that show out of those 10,000, 100,000, a million files that they submitted, how many of those depict children who have already been identified? And who's the law enforcement officer that identified that child, who can prove in court that it is in fact a real child victim? In 2016, NCMEC was part of a global effort to find a girl in a video discovered by a New Zealand customs agent. The footage showed U.S. Border Patrol employee Paul Adams raping his then 10-year-old daughter. We could see both their faces for a start. So there's some really good imagery of both of their faces. And they were talking throughout it as well. Six years before the video surfaced in Auckland, Adams confessed to his Mormon bishop that he abused his daughter. A prominent church lawyer told the bishop to keep the abuse secret. As a result, the child was brutalized for seven more years. Today, the video and others still circulate on the internet. They're living with that for the rest of their lives. It's on the internet, it's not going anywhere. And they have to wake up every morning, you know, knowing that there's imagery of those terrible times in their lives still out there that, that people are accessing for their own gratification and they don't care anything about them. Computer analysts at NCMEC determined that the nine-minute video was made in 2015. They also isolated several images of Adam's face and sent them to Homeland Security investigations. Everything HSI does has to have a nexus to the border, so how are we working domestic child exploitation cases? Well, because of the internet, every image, if I send a picture to you right now, it's gonna cross the border. Approximately six weeks after the video was discovered in New Zealand, Homeland Security agents arrested Adams. Adams died by suicide in custody while awaiting his trial. Data from NCMEC shows that the original video was viewed about 100 times in 2017. That figure soared to more than 4,500 in 2021. Since 2016, U.S. law enforcement agencies have seized copies of it hundreds of times. Nearly 800 people were arrested in 2021, with the video in their possession. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, we have the latest on the COVID surge in China. The country reports 130 subvariants of Omicron, and an unusual symptom is becoming more widespread. And Taiwanese men will have to serve longer in the military. The island decides to extend its mandatory military service due to threats from communist China. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. COVID cases in China are soaring and are expected to peak sometime in January. Meanwhile, the country is relaxing quarantine requirements for international travelers and shutting down COVID testing booths nationwide. China's top health body is no longer publishing daily COVID-19 infection numbers. The move comes as the country sees a massive surge in virus cases and amidst skepticism that the official toll doesn't reflect the true scale of the outbreak. The country's top health body, called the National Health Commission, said another agency would take over the task, China's CDC. The CDC is a lower authority compared to the NHC. It's unclear how often the CDC would publish the COVID-19 reports. The agency traditionally only publishes monthly updates. China also no longer tallies its total number of infections. Authorities have shut down PCR testing booths nationwide, adding they will stop gathering data on asymptomatic cases. Meanwhile, the CCP virus continues soaring. The CDC of China's eastern Zhejiang province published estimates over the weekend, saying that right now a million people in the province are getting infected daily. That's with the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19. The agency adds that the province's peak of infection rates is due in about a week, around New Year's Day, and that those numbers will last for one week. The CDC also noted that during the peak, the province's daily infection rate would rise to 2 million. These estimates are based on virus tracking and testing of communities in the province. Over in Sandong province, local CDC officials said Friday that they're seeing around 500,000 daily infections there, and that over the weekend, that figure would rise by about 10 percent. 
Also on Friday, CDC authorities in the southern province of Guangzhou warned the peak of the outbreak is around the corner and that with more than 250,000 new infections appearing locally every day, that number is growing. These three provinces are among the most populous in China. Together, they are home to around 300 million Chinese citizens. Experts predict the COVID-19 peak for the country as a whole will arrive in January. That time also marks peak travel season in China. Every year, tens of millions take vacations or go to visit loved ones in celebration of the Lunar New Year holiday. China is ending its quarantine requirement for travelers coming into the country. Starting January 8th next year, passengers arriving in China no longer have to go through mandatory quarantine. This as the country sees a massive surge of virus infections, with multiple regions reporting at least hundreds of thousands of new infections daily. Chinese leader Xi Jinping is calling on authorities to do what's, quote, feasible to help patients. Over 130 sublineages of Omicron detected in China within three months. That figure comes from a Chinese state media report published last week, citing Xu Wenbo, the head of the National Institute for Viral Disease Control and Prevention. Xu explained that variants known as BQ1 and XBB are new sublineages of Omicron. They're more transmissible and more capable of infecting vaccinated people, though they don't pose significantly higher mortality rates. Is Omicron to blame for the virus surge that's wreaking havoc in China, or is there another subvariant spreading alongside it? Some patients are showing symptoms that don't usually appear when infected with Omicron, but that did show up widely in Wuhan when the pandemic first broke out. Here are the details. Reports from Chinese hospitals are raising an unexpected concern. The lungs of some COVID-19 patients are appearing white on CT scans, indicating lung infection. But Omicron is widely known not to attack the lungs, which makes it less dangerous than other variants. In the past few days, people have flocked to Chinese social media Weibo with similar reports that some of those infected with COVID-19 were also diagnosed with severe pneumonia. CT scans show parts of their lungs turned white. The appearance means the lungs are infected, posing danger to affected patients. The so-called white lung syndrome was a typical symptom found in Wuhan City at the beginning of the pandemic. Those who've shared the news online include medical staff, family members of the deceased, and patients themselves. Among those showing the symptom was the father-in-law of a well-known Chinese scholar. He died last week of COVID-19-related pneumonia. His CT scan showed one-fourth of his lungs had already turned white. And there's more. A doctor in Beijing recorded the process of how a 70-year-old patient's lungs turned white by CT scans. The patient died one day after the infection reached his lungs. Back online, a medical worker from eastern China's Jiangsu province shared a set of related photos on social media site Weibo. The pictures came from the CT scans of two white lung patients. One of them showed a high degree of fibrosis of the lungs. It was so advanced that the shape of the lungs became obscured. The medical worker wrote he's seen more white lung patients lately than since he studied medicine in college. In response to the surging virus cases in China, other countries are taking action. Two countries close to China are requiring COVID tests for travelers arriving from China. Starting from midnight on Friday, December 30th, Japan will require a negative COVID-19 test upon arrival for travelers from China. It will apply to people who've been in China within the last seven days. Those who test positive will be required to quarantine for seven days. And India also announced that it will require a negative COVID-19 test for travelers entering from China. Passengers have to show the test result before boarding the flight. Those who showed symptoms of COVID-19 or tested positive would be put under quarantine. The same requirement will also apply to travelers entering India from Japan, South Korea, Singapore and Thailand. With China no longer requiring international travelers to quarantine starting on January 8th, United Airlines said today that it's evaluating the demand for flights to China to determine when to add more back in. United currently operates only four flights a week to the country, from San Francisco to Shanghai. French jet engine maker Safran is to pay over $17 million over bribes allegedly paid in China. That's according to a statement from the U.S. Justice Department. 
The aerospace supplier is based in Paris, but the case centers on its U.S. subsidiary, Monogram Systems. The company will be required to turn over profits from corruptly obtained contracts. The DOJ says the case involves deals with Beijing for train lavatory contracts. The bribery charges also involve Safran's German subsidiary. Safran is currently working with General Electric to produce Boeing 737 engines. In response to the charges, the group fired an employee allegedly engaged in misconduct. Safran is cooperating with the government for further investigations. The company did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Taiwan is extending its compulsory military service for male citizens. This is due to the threat posed by the Chinese regime. Beginning in 2024, Taiwanese men will have to serve one year in the military instead of four months. Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen announced the decision today. She said Taiwan's current military system is inefficient and insufficient to cope with China's rising military threat. Taiwan's mandatory military service was shortened from one year to four months in 2018. The president noted that extending the requirement back to one year was an incredibly difficult decision. After two years of complete evaluation and reviews, considering the troops' supply needs, we decided to resume one-year compulsory service starting from 2024. The new rule will apply to men born after 2005. The conscripts will be required to undergo eight weeks of basic military training and then around 10 months of ground training. The decision comes as the Chinese regime ramps up military, diplomatic, and economic pressure on Taiwan. Taiwan on Monday reported the largest ever Chinese Air Force incursion into the island's air defense identification zone. Forty-three Chinese warplanes crossed an unofficial buffer between the two sides. South Korea is creating a military unit specializing in drones. The president says he's speeding up the effort. He also criticizes the recent military response to a border intrusion by North Korean drones. Five North Korean drones crossed into South Korea on Monday, prompting Seoul to scramble fighter jets and attack helicopters. The military fired warning shots and some 100 rounds from a helicopter equipped with a machine gun, but failed to bring down any of the drones while they flew over several South Korean cities, including the capital Seoul, for about five hours. President Yoon Suk-yeol said it shows that the military isn't prepared and called for more intense readiness and training. A senior official said the drones were too small to intercept easily. Each drone measured less than 10 feet. The military also said it couldn't aggressively attack them with civilians below. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, Serbia puts its military on highest alert. The country believes Kosovo is preparing to attack ethnic Serbs in northern Kosovo after they put up barricades. A suspected Ukrainian drone penetrated deep into Russian territory and attacked a bomber base. Three military personnel were allegedly killed. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Serbia's Minister of Defense meets with soldiers close to the border with Kosovo as Serbia's army maintains its highest combat alert following weeks of escalating tensions. Footage released by Serbia's defense ministry shows the minister meeting soldiers and inspecting howitzers close to the border. The ministry later said Serbia's president ordered the army and police to be put on high alert. That's due to its belief that Kosovo was preparing to attack ethnic Serbs and forcefully remove roadblocks. Since December 10th, ethnic Serbs in northern Kosovo have erected multiple roadblocks in the city of Metrovica. They exchanged fire with police after the arrest of a former ethnic Serb policeman. Kosovo says it's waiting for NATO's neutral peacekeeping force to respond about the barricades before it will take any serious action. Around 50,000 Serbs live in the northern part of Albanian-majority Kosovo and refuse to recognize Kosovo's government or state. They see the Serbian capital as their capital, and they're backed by Serbia. Kosovo declared independence from Serbia in 2008. The Belarusian president says Russia and Belarus have achieved progress that can take years for some countries. They met during talks at an informal two-day gathering of leaders in St. Petersburg, Russia. 
It was called the Commonwealth of Independent States Summit, and it began on Monday. Today, the Belarusian president met with Russian President Vladimir Putin for bilateral discussions. Last week, he hosted Putin in the Belarusian capital Minsk, a rare foreign visit for the Russian president. It's prompted speculation that Putin wants to entice Belarus into joining Russia's military campaign in Ukraine. A Kremlin spokesman denied those claims, but Russian troops and equipment have been building up in Belarus, and Russia launched a campaign from Belarus in the early stages of the war. A drone believed to be Ukrainian penetrated hundreds of miles through Russian airspace. Moscow says it shot down the drone, killing three service members in the process. Here's more. Surveillance video captured this explosion on Monday in Russia, hundreds of miles from the Ukrainian frontier. The culprit for the deadly blast at the main base for Moscow's long-range bombers was a drone, believed to be Ukrainian. Moscow says three service members died when it shot the drone down. Some accounts said planes were damaged, although Russia said they weren't. Reuters cannot verify the reports either way, and Ukraine did not comment. The incident could be the latest attack to expose gaps in Russia's air defenses. The same base was struck just three weeks earlier by a suspected drone. Kiev says the base is home to bombers that have targeted Ukraine's civilian infrastructure. Also on Monday, Russian President Vladimir Putin met with leaders of former Soviet states, but did not make any direct references to the war in televised remarks. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said the situation at the front in the Donbass region, including in Bakhmut, was difficult and painful and would require all of the country's strength and concentration. As the war enters its 11th month, Putin has said he's open to negotiations over Ukraine, but has shown no sign of retreating from his demand that Kyiv recognize Moscow's armed conquest of a fifth of the country. For its part, Kyiv says it will fight until Russia withdraws. Turkey has found a new field of natural gas in the Black Sea. The country plans to use the gas to power its national grid and become more energy independent. The country's energy minister said the first delivery will take place by the end of March. The total volume of natural gas that Turkey has discovered amounts to 25 trillion cubic feet. Turkey has little oil and gas. It's highly dependent on imports from Russia, Azerbaijan and Iran. It also imports liquefied natural gas from Qatar, the U.S., Nigeria and Algeria. Russian President Vladimir Putin has floated the idea of setting up a gas hub in Turkey after Russia's Nord Stream gas pipelines were damaged. Israeli Prime Minister-designate Benjamin Netanyahu moved one step closer today toward establishing a government. This is after Parliament approved legislation that's aligned with his conservative coalition. Netanyahu's conservative and religious bloc of parties won a clear election win in November, but it has taken almost two months to reach deals with his allies. Those allies have demanded a significant share of power in return for their support. The pro-settler Religious Zionism Party will take up a post of second minister within the defense ministry. This will grant it broad authority over the expansion of Jewish settlements in the occupied West Bank. Over in France, the man who's accused of shooting dead three Kurdish people last week has been indicted. The 69-year-old man, whose name hasn't been disclosed, was indicted on charges of murder and attempted murder with a racist motive. He was arrested on Friday after shooting dead two men and a woman at a Kurdish cultural center and a nearby Kurdish cafe in central Paris. The prosecutor's office said a dedicated judge will look into his charges. The man has also been placed under formal investigation. Under French law, this means there is serious or consistent evidence pointing to implication of a suspect in a crime. Kurdish representatives have called for the shooting to be considered a terrorist attack with a political motive. And just ahead in Spain, people take friends and family to restaurants to celebrate the Christmas season. As the pandemic recedes, the hospitality industry hopes for continued progress. New glass barriers outside of Venice Basilica help protect it from flood water. The building is at one of the lowest points in the entire city. Stay tuned for more on that when we return.
Across Spain, people are reviving the tradition of celebrating in restaurants with friends and family in the run-up to Christmas Day. The hospitality industry hopes this will lead to a much-needed boost. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on the Spanish appetite. Quique da Costa is the gastronomic director of Mandarin Oriental Ritz. This year, he says people want to enjoy the festive season with friends and family. I have a delivery service where I cook food, not the same as I can offer at the hotel, but the clients were at home because of the Omicron variant, and we experienced a 30 to 40 percent increase of sales at home. Now, this year, it is estimated that 30 to 40 percent of customers want to go out and enjoy the restaurant with their family. DaCosta is hopeful people return to dining out, but he says the recovery hasn't fully materialized. After the pandemic, we didn't see a rebound in our sector. It's true that we have returned to a more stable situation in which restaurants are open and can generate business and receive customers. Madrileños are a sociable bunch, and they missed spending time with family and friends during the height of the pandemic. Last year was a disaster. We didn't have work dinner nor friends dinners. We practically suspended almost everything. However, this year, I have already had a work dinner, a dinner with paddleboarding friends, lunches, dinners. Another diner says the pandemic fear has faded. I believe that this year people are experiencing meals without fear, with a smile and enjoying the moment without thinking that they might be infected. You no longer see anyone wearing a mask. Everything is more natural. Business analyst Rafael Pampalone says people make her tell what they order but they'll keep eating out this Christmas. This Christmas, practically the same amount will be spent in restaurants as what was spent in 2019. However, less will probably be spent on food in other locations, such as at movie theaters, where families will reduce their purchases and going to those types of activities. But people will continue to spend in restaurants. They may order cheaper dishes, or they won't order a dessert, but they will keep going. As the pandemic recedes, the hospitality industry hopes for continued progress. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A one-of-a-kind vehicle is going up for grabs, and it won't come cheap. Bugatti's Chiron Profila, the company's last purely gas-powered supercar, has a 16-cylinder engine and can reach 236 miles per hour. R.M. Sotheby's, which is auctioning off the vehicle, didn't comment to questions about an estimated value. However, a competitor company named Broad Arrow estimates the car could be worth up to $8 million. The auction is scheduled for February 1st, 2023 in Paris. New glass barriers are protecting St. Mark's Basilica in Venice from floodwater. Now, the salty tide can't corrode the church's precious mosaics and marble columns. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the mitigation efforts. Puddles have bubbled up from below St. Mark's Square in Venice. Architect Mario Piana examines the recently installed glass barriers. They're protecting the basilica from the high tide. The barrier that has just been inaugurated is intended to finally block the high water that still floods the base of the basilica on the exterior in the narthex and in the entrance of portico that is just on the other side of these doors at the entrance of the church the basilica is one of the lowest points in the entire city of venice the mosaic floors are two feet below sea level when the square outside floods the vestibule of the church is filled with water for melissa khan the barriers are a welcome installation it's very exciting the, the morning that they first went into use to see the photographs of the water basically being held in the piazza and not in front of the church. When seawater from the lagoon floods the floor of the basilica, the water sinks into the stones and marble. Then it evaporates, leaving salt crystals behind. They corrode the marble bases of the columns and mosaics on the floors. The high water that has caused serious damage to the basilica and in the past has caused serious damage. Let's hope that from now on, there are no more high waters that will touch the base of the basilica. The basilica that is more than 900 years old is built with clay brick and covered with little bits of marble and various types of stones. The barriers are part of a larger engineering project to set up a series of channels below St. Mark's Square. They're intended to direct water away from the square to prevent flooding. 
Venice is a 1,600-year-old city built on a lagoon. But it's sinking, and along with rising sea levels, that means more high tides that flood. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. NASA is sharing what winter is like on Mars. According to the space agency, these photos captured the changing Martian landscape due to winter. This photo shows mega dunes with carbon dioxide frost and ice on them. The frost makes the dunes and other parts of the landscape look darker. According to NASA, Mars also experiences cube-shaped snow and sub-zero temperatures. In some areas, the red planet can get as low as negative 190 degrees Fahrenheit during winter. Still to come, a group of retirees competes in an esports competition after mastering their computer skills. The team's average age is 64 years old. And in the Czech Republic, hundreds of people join in annual winter swimming races. The water temperature was only 41 degrees Fahrenheit. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. Esports aren't just for the young. A group of Taiwanese retirees is competing after mastering their computer skills. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on these new elderly gamers. Join us if you dare is the battle cry of the Hong Kong Evergreen Gaming Team. This group of elderly people is competing at a gaming competition in Taichung City. 66-year-old Cheng Yishu got involved after seeing an advertisement in central Taiwan recruiting elderly gamers. Now she's a League of Legends player. For an elderly person, gaming is really good for the brain. It's not painstaking, but one must have the determination to do it, such as, I don't want to lose. I have lived for some time now, and I should not let this beat me. And I overcame. Chang plays about five hours every week and attends training classes weekly. A year ago, she barely knew how to use a computer. But Chang sees the benefits of mastering this new skill at her age. Frankly speaking, I knew very little about computers. I never thought of learning about it because I prefer interactions with people. But when I started to play, I figured out that it was good for the brain, and especially the use of hands. You need to have dexterity. The team's average age is 64 years old. The coach for the elderly gamers team says Cheng Yishu is a determined player. She looks rather pessimistic, but she's more willing than other people. She is the gamer who spent the most time practicing. She would also find time to ask me questions about the characters. Although she would sound pessimistic, she is actually very aggressive. She also likes to play League of Legends very much. There is one difference in how the elderly players approach the game. The coach says the focus is less on killing, even though that's the main objective in battle tournament games like League of Legends. The team may have lost the recent tournament, but for Chang and her teammates, just playing the game has been a chance to learn something new. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Over in the Czech Republic, hundreds of people took part in the Boxing Day annual swimming races on Monday. They were swimming in a river in Prague where the water temperature was only 41 degrees Fahrenheit. The races were held in Prague's iconic Voltava River. Around 350 people from the Czech Republic, Austria, Germany, Poland, Slovakia, the UK and the US took part in the races. There were three race categories, 100, 300, and 750 meters. The strong current forced organizers to rethink the route of the races to protect swimmers. One swimmer from Vienna said the water was pleasant despite the cold temperature. She said although the current was strong, the finish was great. The annual Boxing Day Winter Swim is held in honor of Albert Nikodem. He was a Prague goldsmith who popularized winter swimming in then Czechoslovakia in the 1920s. Fermented foods and drinks are becoming very popular, and for good reason. They're rich in probiotics and enzymes. Let's take a closer look at apple cider vinegar. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Apple cider vinegar, or ACV, may seem like a new fed, but it's been used for thousands of years. Babylonians used it as a tonic in 5000 BC. Egyptians used it in 3000 BC. Samurai warriors used it in 1200 BC and Hippocrates recommended apple cider vinegar over 400 years ago. This fermented beverage is certainly in good company. 
Apple cider vinegar contains more than 90 different nutrients and cofactors. This makes it a truly remarkable beverage for your nutritional needs. Let's deep dive into its profile. A good source of potassium and magnesium. It also contains calcium, chlorine, copper, iron, fluorine and sodium. Contains vitamin A, B1, B2, B6, C and E. An excellent source of enzymes and probiotics. Contains various amino acids, a good source of pectin and fiber. A quality source of electrolytes and a source of ash which gives it its alkaline property. ACV balances pH levels in the body. It's very antiseptic, antiviral, antibacterial and antifungal. With all of these things in mind, let's take a look at some of its incredible benefits. It balances the inner ecosystem, the gateway to good health, prevents and relieves indigestion, helps promote acid reflux, promotes bowel regularity, improves blood sugar balance, helps to relieve allergies, helps to eliminate sinus infections, sore throats, headaches and flu. It clears up skin problems like acne, eczema and warts. It lowers high cholesterol and blood pressure. It destroys candida and fungus and populates the gut with beneficial bacteria. It eases inflammation associated with arthritis and gout. Increases stomach acid which facilitates stronger digestion and nutrient absorption. Overall detoxifier facilitates weight loss. Cleanses lymph nodes. Cleanses the scalp and can help hair grow. Soothes sunburn and provides energy. When purchasing apple cider vinegar for internal use, be sure to purchase raw, unfiltered organic vinegar. Bragg's apple cider vinegar is an excellent organic brand. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.